Are you interested in making your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You guys can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And in fact, I'm using Anchor and I love it. If you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Welcome to the Heidi St. John podcast. Today is Monday, May 11th. This is episode number 922. It is also Mailbox Monday, one of my favorite days of the week here at the podcast. I'm going to take your questions and you guys are not messing around. Whole bunch of hardball questions today. Everything from can my governor force me to wear a face mask to please help the homeschool uh, seniors who need to be adopted. Lots of uh, great questions today. Stick around. I'm going to tackle them and I think you're going to be encouraged. So thanks for tuning in today. Before I get started, I wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you guys continuing to leave reviews for the podcast over at iTunes. I know a lot of you have been telling me lately that you've been trying to get my books and the books have been sold out. The reason that they were sold out is because the governor of Illinois declared the publishing houses were not essential and so they were having a hard time shipping them. Um, but I'm fairly certain that they have been shipped now. And so hopefully, if you've been trying to get your hands on those books, you can do it. And you can do it if you hurry in time uh, for Father's Day. <laughs> I I told my husband the other day, I'm like, the world's on fire. I'm going to miss Mother's Day. Can we just pretend it's not happening? Anyway, hope you guys had a really great weekend uh, enjoying your families together. I want to update you on my family. Many of you saw that I posted a video. It's been seen about I don't know, a little over 300,000 times now on Facebook because my mother-in-law uh, had a heart attack. And then a few days later, she ended up with a terrible infection. And again, I took her to the hospital again, and they separated us. And it really, really frustrated me. And I felt helpless. I was angry. You know, here's my mother-in-law and she has no one to advocate for her. And, and you guys know when you're in the hospital, particularly under duress, because hello, when you're in the hospital, typically it's because you are under duress, uh, they, people need an advocate. And it really frustrated me. And I continue to encourage people to engage in the conversation about what I believe is massive overreaction and massive government overreach. And uh, we are learning right now that we have tyrannical leaders and uh, they're using this thing called COVID-19, this pandemic, to exercise their authority and see basically, I think, how much can they get away with. And it's really not affecting big businesses like Walmart's going to be just fine. Uh, hello, I'm thinking that Chick-fil-A is probably doing better than it's ever done in its whole life. You know, if you're a drive through restaurant, you're okay. If you're, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot, you're fine. But what's really happening is they're killing, literally killing small businesses because, you know, Walmart is essential, but the lady in Battleground, Washington, my friend Brooke, who has a clothing store that's just a little mom and pop resale shop, somehow she's not uh, essential. And so we're, we're, we're running people out of business and it's frustrating me. And I know a lot of you are frustrated. So I'm going to try to give you some practical tips today to sort of help you. There's a whole bunch of questions that are coming in and they're ranging wildly from 
Can you please talk about suicide? We're having suicides in our area because of coronavirus. Uh, can you please talk about the legality of this and the other thing? And then another mom asked me if I could address the topic of the age of accountability. Now, you guys know, I, I think by now, I love talking about everything. So everything's interesting to me. Politics is interesting. Obviously, I love talking about the Word of God. We're studying Colossians right now at MomStrong International. And uh, that ministry is doing everything we can to encourage you and to uplift you and to remind you of who you are as uh, children of God. And that's what I'm going to do here. So there really aren't any topics that are off limits. If you have a question that you'd like to have addressed at the podcast, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. And I'm going to continue just to try to answer your questions in the most reasoned uh, way that I can. I realize some of us are going to disagree. <laughs> some of us are going to disagree on things. So I thought, you know, maybe today I'm going to try to tackle three of your questions. Um, and I'm going to save the one I think is the most meaty, I guess, for the, for the last. So the easiest one I could think of to shout out was from a, a listener, a senior in high school, a homeschool senior, and her name is Faith. So hi, Faith. I got your, uh, got your question. And I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a shout out today. So uh, Faith is a homeschool high school senior. And like many, many, many hundreds of thousands of kids, she was supposed to graduate and walk across the stage. But now she's having a virtual graduation. So like, I'm not a fan of virtual graduations. And in fact, when the coronavirus is over, I hope to never do a Zoom call again. <laughs> like, I, don't, I reject the new normal. Like Heidi St. John will not be new normaling. At least I won't make it be my new normal. It might be the new normal, but it won't ever be normal for me. And I know a lot of you feel that way. And one of uh, Faith's responses to this was that she and her mom created a page for homeschool seniors on Facebook that need to be adopted. And by adopting, and I've seen this all over the internet, there's some pages that have hundreds of thousands of people. This is largely being done through the public school system. And I think homeschool kids aren't really getting in on this very much. So I love the idea. And so you can adopt a senior and you can send them a graduation gift, cards, notes of encouragement, I think might be the most important thing. And so you guys can find this page on Facebook. So if you just go to the search bar, and I found it, and I'll actually link back to it in the show notes today. Uh, if you type in homeschool, adopt a senior, you can find pictures of homeschool seniors that are waiting to be adopted by a family who will basically just send them cards and encourage them and say, good job, you know, God has good plans for you. So uh, I hope this is encouraging for you, Faith, and for your mom, and I hope this uh, increases your numbers a little bit. So I'm going to share that page as a way for you guys to support some of these homeschool high school seniors uh, during this time. And right now, I went to the page, and there's several seniors that need to, quote, be adopted. So check it out. Uh, I'll link back to it in the show notes today. And if you're interested in adopting a senior um, from through the public school system or any other way, uh, really, all you got to do is type in adopt a senior and bam, you know, a whole bunch of pages will come up. But I want to give this little page a little bit of love because last time I looked at it, there were like maybe 60 people on the page, not like hundreds of thousands. So that tells me homeschoolers could use a little bit of love right now. So that's a really good way for you to do it. Next question that came in uh, from a listener. She said, hi, Heidi, I have a legal question for you. And you guys know I'm just a homeschool mom uh, with an opinion. I'm not a, an attorney. Also, I love the Constitution. So the conversation to me is fascinating. Uh, she said, Heidi, with governors around the country issuing these requirements about face masks, how do we know if we have any legal right not to comply? Um, how do we ask? I feel so frustrated and bullied. So my stance on this. So right now in Washington state, we have not been mandated to wear masks in public. 
And uh, I'm praying against it because you're right. I feel like we are absolutely being bullied. There's no question about it. Uh, Governors, I think in more than a dozen states right now have implemented executive orders or some sort of official guidelines that uh, require their residents to wear face masks or covering when they're in public. And what I'm reading, even from the CDC, a lot of people are like, dude, face masks don't even work. And as far as Heidi St. John is concerned, I told my daughter, you know, this last night we were talking about it. It makes me feel like I'm part, like when I put a mask on, I'm saying, I believe all this stuff and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wearing a mask to protect you and I'm, I'm not sick. I don't actually think the mask works. It frustrates me that they're asking me to do it. But the question is not, are you frustrated by it? I think we can all agree that it's, it's frustrating, you know, particularly in places like uh, Kentucky and, and Pennsylvania and uh, here in Washington State, we've got other kinds of frustrating things besides beyond, you know, face masks, which he hasn't mandated yet. But the question is, is it legal? Can he do it? Uh, well, the bottom line is, is yes, he can do it. And this is what you guys need to understand. So like here in Washington State, you know, I've been railing against this Um you know, we have a tyrannical governor in Washington state. His name is Jay Inslee. And Jay, if you're listening, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying someone will kick you out of office. <laughs> because uh, we, we're we being, uh, it's amazing what's happening here. You know, extending the lockdown indefinitely, you know, while people are losing their jobs and their livelihoods. And we're seeing the sharp now rise of suicide and depression is setting in. And you guys know I talked to my friend Kathy Cook about this on the podcast last Friday. But what you didn't hear was the conversation that we had before we went on the air. And I was just telling her stories of, of uh, people in my area. And it is devastating what's happening here. So I reached out to an attorney and I said, listen, what, what, you know, what kind of legal standing do we have? Well, unfortunately, we can all see that, you know, this limiting the right to assemble. So for example, here's part of the frustration. We have friends who go to church in northern Washington in a town called Mount Vernon. They tried to have a drive-in church service and the police were dispatched to make sure that they didn't get out of their cars. Well, why can, why aren't the police dispatched to Walmart? Because there are hundreds and hundreds of people parking in the Walmart parking lot getting out at any given time. Why aren't we dispatched there? Why are we singling out the church? These are real issues that we are beginning to face now. And I think we're going to start to see a barrage of um lawsuits because when you say, well, this parking lot can have people in it, but this parking lot can't, now you're not comparing um, apples to apples anymore. Now you've singled somebody out. And so the I think we can talk all day about the Ill- illegality of it and the unconstitutionality of it. And certainly it's nonsensical in a lot of ways. But I discovered that here in Washington State, our legislative body, uh, the ding-dongs that we have allowed to be leaders and lawmakers in the state of Washington have passed laws over the past several years that have literally given Jay Inslee sweeping authority to do what he's doing. So technically, it's legal. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's typically the case in most of these states. So where where they are um, issuing these tyrannical laws, they typically are within their rights to do it. So then the question becomes, how far can the government restrain our lives uh, during COVID-19? And as the pandemic goes on and on, we're going to hear more and more examples of government overreach, 
right? Um, police ticketing people who attend uh, services in their cars. You know, one Florida county introduced curfews. Uh, it's it's crazy. And there's a part of me that wonders, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone the other day, and she said, I think a lot of these people realize now that it's overreach and COVID-19 is not nearly as bad as they said it was going to be. But for them to back it up, they're going to have to, they're going to have to basically say, I was wrong. Well, we don't want that. So rather than say they're wrong, they're digging their heels in. So for example, Costco, starting on the 4th of May, started telling everybody that they had to wear face masks. Well, I'm like, why on the 4th of May are you doing that? But you didn't do it when they introduced the pandemic way the heck back at the beginning of March. So there's all these questions that are floating around in the air. But the bottom line is they really, in many of these places, the governors have uh, legal authority to do that. Now we can argue all day long, about the constitutionality of it. And I'm really praying that there are, I think the only way out of this that I can see is uh, we're going to have to recall a lot of these governors and sue them. (laughs) I mean, I kind of think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to start to see lawsuits. I'm sure that places like um, Alliance Defending Freedom are getting phone calls. They have to be getting phone calls every single day because the constitution sets up a federal government that has limited uh, and enumerated powers. So like we know exactly what those, that's what enumerated means. We know exactly what those powers are and we know that they're limited. And the only time in which a president can exercise that this um, sort of extraordinary power is if our nation faces an imminent attack from a foreign nation, right? Or if there is say um, outright rebellion, like an insurrection that happens in the States, which frankly, I'm starting to wonder if we're not very far off from that, right? Uh, And so other than that, the federal government and the president um, have a lot of power when it comes to controlling foreign travel, right? But what we're seeing happening in the country right now is sort of unprecedented, right? So the federal government can stop people from trying to enter the country. Let's say that they, they think you could be infected with a coronavirus. So President Trump rightly clamped down on the borders and said, no, you can't come into our country until we figure this thing out. So they have a very sweeping power when it comes to interstate travel and things like that, right? Under the Constitution, now this is what I want you guys to understand. So the 10th Amendment, uh, this is the state uh, governing officials, right? So usually governors who exercise what's known as a residual police power to protect the health and safety and welfare of the citizens of those states. And this is the authority that the governors are using to issue their stay-in-place orders, right? So they close down what they deem to be non-essential businesses, prevent large gatherings and things like that. And the more, the longer this goes on, we can start to see the absurdity of a lot of these things. And so initially we were like, yes, um, let's, you know, flatten the curve. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do the thing and we did it. And now we're seeing they're unwilling to yield back to the people. And this is where you're going to start to see issues, uh, issues come. So if your governor has issued an order that says that you have to wear a mask when you go out into public, the bearer of bad news, Heidi St. John is going to say, he probably has the legal authority to do that. I mean, look into your state law and your state constitution, but most of the states where the governors are doing that, um, have been given this authority by the legislative body. And it's more important than ever, for those of you who are listening, you know, we talk, we've been talking about this for years here at the podcast, and I'm saying ordinary people should be sitting in these, in these positions. Run for office. You can run for city council. You can run, so for example, you can run to be, you know, manager of your city. You're so many, you don't have to, you don't have to be a politician or somebody who went to school to study this stuff to run for office. And it becomes more and more important with each passing day that we start to really look inside of ourselves and say, how precious is our freedom? You know, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. 
and I'm with him. Our freedom should matter. It Our liberties should matter. And so every single person that's listening within the sound of my voice, I hope you guys will be praying about what God would have you do uh, to protect your freedom. And it isn't just for you. This is the freedom of your uh, your children and your grandchildren. What kind of a world are they going to grow up in? I keep hearing things about the new normal and how you know nothing's going to go back to normal. And you guys, it's like a hostile takeover from people who don't value freedom at all. And they would rather have the government keep us safe. The role of government is not to keep you safe. It's to exercise uh, justice. And justice is not being served, I think, in many, many ways right now. So uh, that's my answer to your question. Unfortunately, I do think your governor probably has the the legal footing to do that. I also think we're going to start to see these these uh, decisions challenged in court, and many of them probably likely going to make it all the way to the Supreme Court. So uh, thanks for that question. I wish I had better news for you. I understand that you feel frustrated and bullied because you are being bullied. <laughs> so that makes sense to me. So uh, again, a reason for us to be engaged, but not panicking, right? We want to be prayerful about these things. We want to be respectful. Uh, I have been going to protests in my state. I think it's very important to stand up for your First Amendment rights. A virus does not cancel the Constitution uh, of our country. So if you guys haven't ordered a pocket Constitution, I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today. I ordered 10 of them and I gave them to all my kids. And I was like, keep these with you all the time. And we're studying and looking at the Constitution again in our house so that our children understand uh, the beauty of this document that was way ahead of its time and has served our nation very well for over 200 years. And so uh, understand your rights and your freedoms and be willing to stand up for them. I think the next front is probably going to be churches, you know, but we have to wait and see what these governors do. So as soon as they say, well, this this um, this uh, place can open, but this place can't, like in Kansas City, they're doing, they are just massive overreach over there, massive over over uh, government overreach. Uh, the 10-10-10 rule went into effect. You guys should look it up. It's crazy. I couldn't believe it. A friend of mine who lives in Kansas City sent that to me. And it's terrifying, actually, what these guys are trying to do in taking advantage of a pandemic. So uh, stay you know, stay engaged. Watch what's happening. I would say participate in, in local protests. If you guys are like me and you're frustrated by this, uh, participate, right? You have a right to do that. And that's what we're doing here and uh, we're praying that somebody, eventually someone with authority, because that's what it's going to take, uh, begins to make uh, wise changes so that this nation can get back to work. Because as I told my kids the other day, you know, I'm much more worried about government overreach than I am about COVID-19. I'm much more worried about losing my freedom and our liberties in this nation than I am about COVID-19. And that to me is the central issue. All right. So the, the next question, and I'm going to go, I'll try to answer this one. You guys have such good questions. Uh, this one was about the age of accountability. And uh, she said, Heidi, I love your podcast with Phil Hopper about the end times. I have an additional question about the end times. As a Christian mom, I try my best to point my children to Jesus daily and live with eternity in mind. While my children are still young, eight, five, two, and number four is on the way, we speak about salvation and our need for it often. To my knowledge, they have not yet accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And while I pray that they will come to know the Lord at a young age, I understand that it could also happen when they are a bit older. So with everything that's going on in the world today and how it seems the end times are closer than ever, I become increasingly more overwhelmed with my children's need for salvation. Can you discuss the age of accountability? What do most theologians 
and scholars believe is the age of accountability. I've been so worried lately that my eight-year-old will be left behind and have no one to provide for him and protect him. Would Jesus let children that young be left behind to fend for themselves? Any insight you have would be appreciated. Wow. So you're asking a pretty, uh, this is a, a pretty hardcore question. And I've, you know, I remember arguing about this, well, not arguing, discussing this with people uh, in Bible college, you know, years ago. And I got to tell you, you know, the concept of the age of accountability is that um, that children are not held accountable by God for their sins until they reach a certain age, right? So if the child dies before they reach the age of accountability, that child then, um, by the grace and mercy of God, is granted entrance into heaven. So um, I thought they had a really fascinating article about this at gotquestions.org. And so I'll link back to that uh, in the show notes for you. So ultimately, I think that the best way to answer your question is to say this. I don't see anything in scripture that clearly defines an age of accountability. I don't see it identified anywhere. Uh, There's nothing in the Bible that says this is the age and from here on out, you're responsible. And I think the reason for this is because our children mature at different paces, right? At different ages. And this is true in different cultures. This is true uh, depending on you know, uh, the emotional and spiritual maturity of your child, right? And so I think that the Lord didn't identify a specific moment because he is all-knowing and he knows this about us, right? God knows that um, each soul is accountable and when, right? And the Lord knows when real rejection has taken place, right? And when the love of sin exists in the heart. When enmity with God is conscious and willful, and only God understands that. So let's look at Romans chapter 8 for a second. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. So God understands our brokenness. He understands our our sin nature. And uh, the Jews identified an age of accountability at, a, at about, I don't know, 12 years old, right? And this is when Jesus was taken by his parents to Jerusalem to the Passover feast. And uh, he was there in the temple questioning his leaders, right? So this is kind of a good illustration, right? Jesus walking around asking profound questions at that point. So this then seems to be an age when these kinds of questions begin to be very personal in the heart of a child. And so uh, I noticed, Grace to you, uh, Dr. John MacArthur has a pretty good, I think, synopsis of this. He says that he's always felt that somewhere around the age of 12, the transition from childhood to adulthood takes place. And it's probably not totally disassociated from puberty, where there's a consciousness of your own impulses, your feelings, your desires, those kinds of things. And therefore, sinful attitudes and passions and whatever else and all the things, right, (laughs) start to emerge. So with this in mind, uh, he believes it's absolutely essential all along the way with children. And this is where I wanted to read what he said because I I agree with him 100%. He said, it's absolutely essential all along the way with children that every time they desire to make a commitment to Jesus Christ at whatever age, you know, as someone giving spiritual oversight to them, you encourage them to do that because you don't know, we can't know when their desire is indicative of genuine saving faith. So when a child says, I want to invite Jesus into my life, encourage him to do it. Um, every one of those are steps towards the Lord Jesus and to knowing him better. And so at what point does it become saving faith? Only God knows for certain. And so I think it's wise for you, mama, to just say, would you like, I mean, we did this with our kids. Some of them came to us on their own and others we said, would you like to ask the Lord Jesus into your heart? 
And we give them opportunities to do that. And I think give your children opportunities, all right? So the age of accountability, again, I'm just going to recap for you, not clearly identified in scripture. I think it's up to parents every time a child wants to respond with an open heart to Christ to encourage it all along the way until they come to a point where that's genuine. And the Lord knows that even if you don't. And so there are lots of articles. I'll link back to some of them in the show notes today. I think theologians are generally consistent on this. They might have little, you know, differing ways of looking at it, but as a general rule, going to be pretty consistent that nowhere in the Bible does it actually say there's an age of accountability. And in fact, the Bible says we have been sinful from birth. And so then the conversation comes in, you know, what happens when a, a young child dies? I think there's a very good case to be made for God being merciful. And God uh, making those those decisions correctly. I thought this is interesting. And I'm going to uh, talk about this really quickly because I'm over time already. But uh, frequently lost, I think, in the discussion regarding an age of accountability is the fact that children, no matter how young they are, are not innocent in the sense of being sinless. And this is what the Bible says. We are guilty from birth. The Bible tells us that even if an infant or a child has not committed a personal sin, right? All people, including infants and children, are guilty because of inherited sin. So we inherited this. It's it's the condition that is passed on from our parents. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, because David understood that even at conception, he was a sinner. And the very sad fact that infants sometimes die demonstrates that even infants are impacted by Adam's sin since the physical and spiritual death were results of original sin, of Adam's original sin. And so then this, the study you know, goes on, what about babies and young children who never uh, attain the ability to make this individual choice? And this is where God's grace and mercy comes in. So an age of accountability is like a concept uh, that is thrown out there. But like I said a few minutes ago, it's never really clearly stated in scripture. Um, but I think one verse that can speak to God's mercy is Romans 1 verse 20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so the people are without excuse, right? So according to this, our guilt before God is based really in part on the fact that uh, people reject what they can, quote, clearly see of God's existence, right? And this leads to the question of, of children who have no faculty to clearly see this. Wouldn't their natural incapacity to observe and reason provide them with an excuse? So this is where uh, good people can sort of disagree, and I don't have time to go into the whole thing today. I think there's a very, very good case to be made for the wisdom of God, God's understanding of our human heart and and our ability to have faith, even when we're not, uh, even when we're not able to voice it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Anyway, it's it's a, a huge big question. I love that you asked it, and I want to really quickly say one more thing. You're talking about the second coming of the Lord, and I believe, as I've said here many times in the podcast, this generation could very well live to see the return of Jesus. Very well live to see the rapture. Which, wow, what an amazing thing, right? Um, and this is a good time to study God's word. It's a good time to be in the word, be immersing yourself in the word, be teaching and training your children in God's word. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. So be encouraged today. A study, as Paul said to Timothy, to, to show yourself an approved workman unto God who does not need to be ashamed and who can rightly divide the word of truth. And this is God's word, all right? And so... Um, keep praying for your kids. 
right? I, I accepted the Lord Jesus when I was four years old. I remember my grandmother sitting down next to me and saying, would you like to, to ask Jesus into your heart? And uh, I didn't fully understand what it, mean to follow, what it meant to follow the Lord, but I loved him and I wanted him to know that I loved him and I wanted, I wanted him to know that I wanted to be his. And I think that the Lord does that. He, he impresses his love on the heart of a child. And so give your children the opportunity to accept Jesus into their life and don't waste any opportunity that comes your way to do so. So I hope that helps. I've gone a little bit over today. I'm gonna go ahead and link back to a ton of different articles for those of you who want more information on this in the show notes today. And again, I appreciate your listening. Appreciate you joining us at MomStrong International. We've just begun studying the book of Colossians and it's gonna be a great study, really great study for such a time as this and pointing you back to Jesus being our source of hope and encouragement. Jesus only is the name of the study and you can find it and you can find me over at momstronginternational.com. Thanks for listening today, everybody. I'm gonna bring my daughter back with me and maybe her husband if we can get him in here. And we're gonna talk about Savannah's first two weeks of postpartum, postpartum depression and anxiety and sort of what our family has done to come around Savannah as a third time new mom and the impact that that's made on her life. I know you guys are gonna be encouraged. She's such a precious uh, young mother and uh, she's gonna have a wonderful word of encouragement for you. So come back on Wednesday and invite your new mama friends and those who are expecting, or those of you who are grandmothers and you've got daughters who are expecting, uh, come back on Wednesday and I think you guys are gonna be really encouraged. We love you. The Lord loves you guys. Stay faithful, stay faithful. God is still on his throne and he is still sovereign and you can trust him. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.